VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is a podcast from The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. The Rugby World Cup from The Times with Mark Suster. We'll be with you every week with the latest from the tournament, looking at the prospects for the home nations and the other big guns, of course, and reviewing all the action on and off the field. Find it at thetimes.co.uk or in iTunes. Welcome to The Game, the podcast that empowers you to win any football debate you find yourself in, or indeed in which you find yourself. Today I'm joined by Patty Barkley, Tom Dart, and from the J to the A to the M to the E to the S to the D to the U to the C to the K to the E to the R, it's James Ducker. Later on we'll be discussing the Rooney Rule, but first... Let's start at the Britannia. Now, if one more person says, well, it's a difficult place to play, then I'm going to do something very unpleasant. So please, nobody say that. Uh, Let's just say that Stoke are a team that have progressed very nicely, and they're good, and they're good at home, like many other teams in the Premier League. Um, But Mm -hmm. I just want to start with with Liverpool, and something which I thought was quite extraordinary— Kenny Dalglish's reaction after the game, uh, talking that it's not so much the decisions in this match, which we can talk about, but (laughs) it was the fact that he said it's happened in every game this season and so on. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm surprised that somebody would come out and say this from what is, after all, a position of of strength, since Liverpool are doing better this season than many observers predicted. Mm -hmm. Everybody loves Dalglish. Uh, Paddy, what's the psychology behind this? Or is well, there no psychology? And it's just, yeah, it's no, just being there, honest. There is psychology. I mean, basically, what he's responding to is the... I mean, people like Kenny um, have always, you know, thought the world's against them. That's what drives these people. Um, they're completely one-eyed. But what what made, what's made him come out and say it is, of course, the polluted environment caused by... Um, because when he talked about other people, he kept he, t- he talked about shall we do go down the road taken by other people? He meant an, one other person, Sir Alex Ferguson, and he's basically making the point. He, what he's saying, and he probably he said it very inelegantly, um, was um, you know it it makes you understand why. Ferguson behaves the way he does because if you moan about getting decisions against you. 
you, you, you might get one for you. Uh, Tony Cascarino said it in the Times this morning. That's the way professionals think. I mean, personally, I, I think the FA should have done him for this. Um, it was explained in the Times this morning that the FA aren't going to do him because he didn't refer to any referee by name. In my opinion, that makes it worse because what he was implying in what he said, and I'm, we all know why he said it, because uh, he's trying to protect himself against Ferguson, but um, what he's saying is that all referees are ganging up against Liverpool, and that is what Mourinho more or less said in the all uh, last year when he said all referees were ganging up in favour of Barcelona. Well, it's pretty much what Mourinho said. So I think he turned twenty, the, but yeah, the, the, the blanket, yeah, but the blanket criticism of referees as if they were working in a body is something that I think should be number one on the list of the FA's disciplinary priorities, rather than insisting that a referee must be named by name. Ducker, we're in, we're in virgin territory here, a bit of an unusual position because we're actually doing a podcast talking about Liverpool with not a single Liverpool fan here, but. Um, quite rare on our paper. Sorry? Quite rare on our paper. Exactly. Imagine that. But um, I, I, I just want, uh, want to ask you, I, did, did, do you see all this menace in, in Doug Leash that, that uh, Paddy sees? Um, look, he's, he's skilled, isn't he? He's, I mean, he he's so experienced. He's, he's seen pretty much kind of everything in the game. I, I think it was very kind of cleverly couched I mean he was kind of explicitly stating his kind of displeasure and it was obviously as Paddy said such a pointed kind of reference to to Ferguson but I just think he was quite um, a clever way of of doing it um, I'd I just like to see you know all reference to referees after the game's you know banned you know I think if the FA said anyone who discusses referees in any capacity is given a 10 match touchline ban there'd be no reference is at all for, for managers and we could just get on you know discussing kind of you know amongst ourselves I mean the problem is is, is the you know the whole the whole discussion of that game is now dominated by what Doug Leash has come out and said yeah. so or, you know, any reference to how kind of Liverpool actually played pretty well but obviously come out, uh, uh, either come away with anything Stoke, Stoke did very well yet again you know but, but that just becomes a minor issue in the, the talking points what Doug Leash has said and then for the rest of the week particularly if, if, if someone ends up getting in this case he's not going to it doesn't look like but when you know when, when a manager you know gets a charge of improper conduct or whatever you have an article every single day on it and it just runs and runs and runs I mean in the case of Ferguson last season I mean there was just just days upon end of Ferguson referee stories and I just think it becomes pretty um, tiresome and boring I think if the, the punishment for discussing referees was was extreme um then you wouldn't get them. You wouldn't get them. Uh, them, them discussing it. And mm-hmm. I just think it'd be better for the game, really. I mean, obviously, it's always going to be a talk- talking point. But but maybe it should just be a talking point for for the media and fans and and that to kind of discuss. And yeah, well, I mean, d- discussing the decisions is perfectly healthy. I mean, saying that uh, that you know, discussing the Carrig- uh, or w- uh, Walters incident in an, in technical terms is perfectly healthy. That's well, that's in, what football's well, all about. Let's get that. In, in technical terms, yeah. uh, um, I, I thought that, I mean, to, to be honest, I, I, I thought that was a penalty. His arms around Walters. Walters might go down easier. Yeah. Carragher gets, he should have he known better. 
Mm-hmm. And where I think the referee got it, got it wrong was was in the first half. I thought that was a, that, that, that was a handball in the box. His arm was away from his body. And the last one on Upson, mm-hmm. I thought there's not much Upson can do about no, that. No, I thought the Upson one was not handball because it but was a But he had a, a point on the first one, right? Uh, the first one, definitely, yes. Definitely. Um, Tom, uh, let's... Uh, Training of the football um, on Liverpool, Skirtle at, at right back um, and Carroll on the bench. Um, discuss. Uh, well, Carroll deserves to be on the bench because he hasn't started well enough, and uh, Count and Suarez uh, is, a, is a fairly good partnership, I think. I mean, Carroll came on, didn't he? And I think. I'm not sure about all this uh, talk about Carroll's fitness. I mean, he seems fine to me. I saw him play against Exeter a couple of weeks ago, and he played uh, played reasonably well. I'm sure in a couple of weeks he will force his way into the team, and we'll have forgotten all about this uh, Capello-stoked uh, talk of his excess drinking. But did, should he forget about the talk of his excess drinking, or should he maybe remember it and maybe drink less? Well, we don't really know how much he is drinking, do we? It's uh, for a man who professes to have little interest or no interest in, in what his players do and a man who seems to be keeping them at arm's length as a, as a matter of policy I'd be very surprised if Fabio Capello really did know in depth about uh, Andy Carroll's private life well I mean well, first of all part of Andy Carroll's private life is uh, is public <laughs> because there have been court cases as you know but uh, Ducker I, okay so if if Andy Carroll is fit and Andy Carroll is a 30 million pound player um, shouldn't he get into the side? Shouldn't he start more games than he does? I don't. It's difficult to say with Carroll. It is a funny one. I, I think Tom's got a good point. I kind of. I'm not sure that he's. You know, his fitness isn't kind of there. I just. I just don't. I just don't. I mean, you think if you, you join a club like Liverpool for thirty-five million pounds, then you're going to be seriously buckling down and doing everything to kind of you know, gratiate yourself to your teammates supporters you know try to make a big big impact there and it all just seems a bit wishy-washy really the, the start he's kind of made and mm. I, I just think I think he I think if they can get I think I think maybe it's a focus thing maybe more than a, more than a fitness and I think if they can get him kind of in the zone then he could be a very very potent weapon yeah. for him and a great foil for Suarez I mean I've been very very impressed with Suarez I mean, yep. absolutely brilliant in the Copa, in the Copa America but uh, time I, I think I think there is a, a, a you know good foil there but I, I, I just think I mean Doug Leach knows what he's doing I think will be he'll be picking his moment to kind of put it you know, put him in, and uh, just very early days. I, I'd like to, you know, think maybe if, a few months down the line, if we're still in this situation, Gab, where you know he's in and out of the team, you know, he's not making, making much of an impact, will be a bit more of a concern. But it's, it is very early days. Um, Paddy, yeah, well, I think the two two um, two things that need to be said. One. You know, he's not a thirty-five million pound player. He's he's sort of two thirds of um, Fernando Torres. <laughs> you know, if you see what I mean. Right. That was an inflated sort of market, a market inflated by the ludicrous. I the don't old. dare ask you how much Fernando Torres would be worth right now. So, that's not well, <laughs> if you if you take the fee that was paid and take the zero off, I would say that would be what he would. Which would make we should make Carol uh, a three point five million pound player. So, I mean, the, the the sums aren't aren't significant. The second thing is that he will play he, I mean if when Suarez hits the wall because Suarez of course has been you know played um, for most of the summer probably only had two weeks holiday I guess if that after the Copa America so uh, in which he played a, a leading role so 
um, you know, it it is only a matter of weeks before Dalglish has to take the take the tough decision to take his best player, his catalyst, out of the side um, and shove in Carroll. I I think I mean on the record in this. I think t- Tony Pulis of Stoke has evolved. It's added a, a it's, it's added a dimension last season. Um, I, I could see the plan, um, what he was trying to do. Um, they were going to beat you many different ways, unlike perhaps what they were doing in, in, in the first year uh, in, in the top flight. Now, however, I, I looked at this team um, against Liverpool, and again, he's got four center halves in, in, in the four defensive positions. No Kenwin Jones, who, who's mobile and can play. He spends £10 million on, on Peter Crouch. Um, and, and then this, this, the lap, white hat, Whitehead in central midfield. Um, is he is he reverting to to what it was three years ago, or or did he think okay in this game we'll play this team and in the next game we'll play the the guys who can actually play? I think what he's doing is basically reinforcing the squad to uh, to enhance his plan A rather than developing a plan B and becoming but, more sophisticated. But he had developed the plan B last year to some degree, hadn't he? Not that I've noticed particularly. Well, what what you have is a very physical, direct side to rely on to decent wingers who can cross the ball to uh, the tall centre forwards plus uh, obviously, obviously have the set piece arsenal whether from thrones or, or free kicks uh, and the signing of Crouch uh, adds depth up front if if he wants to play Crouch or if Cameron Jones is, is injured and he's got Waters there as well and Palacios uh, Cameron Jerome Cameron Jerome decent pace another good option and Palacios uh, will come into central midfield I'm sure uh, very shortly for, for perhaps a whitehead and uh, is a slightly better player but it's kind of going to be more of the same from Stoke except they're now insulated to a degree against injuries that said we should probably acknowledge that Crouch despite his height is, is a better player on the ground than in the air and he's also a far more sophisticated player than he is given credit for and because he's so tall we tend to forget that he's actually uh, reasonably subtle I think Tom makes a valid point. I think they they have been there is a tendency once a player once a team has been established in the Premier League for a, for a few years to suddenly you know start saying oh you know they're evolving you know they're they're um, they're not as bad as they were and all this kind of stuff and you know what what's wrong with Stoke being Stoke and the kind of way they play and you know maybe he's fine tuning kind of. The plan, the plan A, and try to bring a little bit, bit more to kind of the Arsenal. And if he, if he thinks Jones and Crouch are much of a muchness, but if one gets injured, he's got a, a ready-made replacement there, and he can kind of rotate. Then good for him. I mean, he's got well, all the dogs, that mar- marathon Europa League campaign mm. to negotiate as well. So um, maybe he, maybe he wants you know similar, you know similar types and lots of them. Moving on to the Stadium of Light. And before we get into the game, let's talk some Asamoah John. And I'd like somebody to correct me if they disagree with me. But this is how I read it. So the news breaks on Saturday. And it's all, oh, you know, greedy, awful Asamoah John walking out. And Steve Bruce comes out and says, only two, you know, two days ago, he shook my hand and told me he was going to stay, blah, blah, blah. Um, Asamoah John goes and signs for Alain, which is a team from the Emirates, uh, not a pretty good one. It's a one-year loan deal. So 
you know, greedy bad guy lies to his manager and disappears to the Middle Eastern cash. Um, then you discover a few different points, um, such as the fact that Asamojan comes out and says, I didn't really have a choice. Uh, they accepted the loan deal for me. And, uh, and then we read in George Calkins' uh, piece today um, that uh, Sunderland are getting six million pounds um, and that when you uh, f- for this one year loan deal yeah. and when you factor in their savings on John's wages or another two million they're basically save themselves, saving themselves eight million pounds now I know that football clubs love to spin things um, but is my reading of this wrong is, isn't this actually a very good deal for Sunderland it does seem like it, Gab. Uh, I read. Uh, I had exactly the same reaction as you when I read it because the the thing about Jan was that he came from uh, Iran, I mm-hmm. think it was, uh, where he'd done very very well. He he just took to the uh, uh, Barclays Premier League like the proverbial duck, and then disappeared. I can I remember seeing him and uh, Welbeck playing up front against Chelsea about this time last year, and they just took them apart. And you thought this Jan's cheap at thirteen million, then he just completely disappeared. And I assumed that he'd suffered some terrible injury uh, until I read uh, a week ago that he was perfectly fit. Um, it seems to me that um, now Quinn has. Um, done a very, very good deal. Don't forget, when he comes back, uh, they'll have uh, anything over five million that they get from him for the next mug um, <laughs> will be profit. So, yeah, it, it seems like it seems like a good deal for the club. The strange thing is that Steve Bruce didn't appear to have been um, told about it because was he, he not told about it, or was he just trying I mean, to be that's clever? What you, that's what you assume when uh, when you see him on television say. Um, we shook hands <clears throat> and now he's gone or was he maybe hoping that nobody would find out that they got this fat loan deal that nobody would go and talk to Asamoah Jean and that you know in this insular world that we live in nobody would, would bother following up and reporting the other side of the story but when, when Steve Bruce implied there you are there's the information you work it out in actual fact it's impossible I think they should rename uh, their ground the stadium of murkiness <laughs> I, Gab, Gab, wasn't there um, quite a lot of just speculation all summer about Gian as well? I mean, was, was it really a great shock that he kind of left? I mean, I could maybe understand Bruce a bit more if um, if it kind of you know there'd be no inkling at all that he wanted to go, or you know that his the future was you know under question. But and it suddenly got lumped in him, you know two days before the transfer window closed but you know there's been a lot of uncertainty around his future for months now so you know it's hardly the greatest shock um, like every every transfer uh, if a player wants to leave the club must paint him in a bad light it becomes a, a matter of a kind of a PR victory doesn't it the club trying to uh, protest their innocence and say oh we didn't want him to go uh, it's players fault he's greedy uh, uh, it's always always seems to be the way with significant transfers Tom, I, I, I think that's an exceptional point. And in this case, painting Asamoah Jean in a bad light, to me, it just seems absolutely stupid and demented from Sunderland's point of view. 
because he's on loan, he's still a Sunderland player. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen in the next 12 months. Mm. If he plays very badly, he's going to come back and you'll be on the hook for him for another two years and it'll be difficult to move. Mm. If, if he plays very well, you may want to keep him. If he plays exceptionally well, of course, then you sell him. Mm. So I, th- th- this just seems to me like it was poorly handled. And th- 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 this stuff just, it just all really, really bugs me. And it's, you know, I, I don't, I, this whole manipulation. I want to throw one other possibility out there too about uh, regarding Asamoah Jean, which has been, Reported, it was reporting Ghana this morning. Is Ghana are playing uh, a crucial uh, African Cup of Nations qualifier uh, against Sudan in October? Both teams are level on points. It's away from home, um, and then of course they, if they qualify, they'll have the the African mm-hmm. Cup of Nations as well. <clears throat> yeah. The way it was spun to me was that from John's perspective. He's getting a little bit annoyed uh, in Sunder, uh, in uh, up on Ware side. He's not happy with his buddy Anton Ferdinand going and so on. Um, he's got a chance to go there, make the same money, maybe a little bit more after taxes. He can prepare properly for um, for this big qualifier and have a great African Cup of Nations, which he really cares about, and then come back to the Premier League a year from now, and then. Would it change your your assessment of him um, if if you consider those factors? So is that directed to me, Gab? Uh, any one of you? Uh, I, I don't. Uh, I think looking year in the future is is optimistic. But when I start reading these figures about he's going to earn five times as much, I think he he goes up in my estimation, and I find um, a lot more sympathy for him because who wouldn't, in his position, if that is the case? move to earn five times as much money and be be a bigger fish in a smaller pond uh, especially when he appears to be not entirely happy at Sunderland and might be facing a, a year on the bench and uh, perhaps uh, losing motivation it's uh, his move becomes perfectly understandable doesn't it well, speaking of, uh, of, of strikers who uh, maybe aren't entirely unhappy or entirely productive, uh, let's move on to Chelsea and the striker who was dropped, uh, Fernando Torres. Now, I think we all assumed it would happen at some point. Um, hey, Patty, am I the only one who was surprised that it happened so quickly? What, that the Torres was dropped? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think you are. I mean, it, it's... what what. Um, what people tend to forget about Fernando Torres is that uh, he didn't just sort of have a bit of a bad spell with Liverpool Um, he's been a fairly marginal figure with Spain he was even uh, during the World Cup he, he, he wasn't himself with Spain I w- I've watched a few of those games in fact if I can, ju- if I can jump in there Paddy and uh, Ollie Kay writes in, in today's game he, mm. he actually breaks it down and it's, it's really he puts the moment in as October 2009 when he suffered a, a groin injury with Spain from that moment onwards his numbers have, have gone worse so yeah. we're talking nearly two years now. yes and it, it, it also it's um, began to uh, Gun to infect is is general play. Once strikers think that their sole job is to improve their figures, they become a liability to the team. Um, and uh, I mean, there, there there are other examples of this. Um, Michael Owen is, is the one that that comes immediately to mind. But um, the the Torres situation is very very serious because I mean, uh, he 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 will prop he faces the possibility that he's going to be remembered as the worst buy of all time. Um, and
iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And uh, I mean, Kakar might have something to say about that, but yeah. Well, I, I don't think it, it's it's pretty hard to to disagree with that. Um, I mean, it, fifty million quid, um, you know, for what he's produced um, is. I think I, I don't see how you can e- even begin an argument at, at this but, stage of his Chelsea career. Shevchenko had scored I, six times as many goals as Torres. Correct, correct. And and Shevchenko was was older. Forrest, uh, Torres, excuse me, was was bought in it in his peak in terms of age so um, this is much more perturbing than Shevchenko everybody realized that um, uh, you know for, for a player who plays once, once, a, once a pace man uh, loses his legs then of course he's not going to score as many as he did in Serie A now Sturridge may I just say something about Sturridge yes. because we'll move on to Sturridge who, who came in took, uh, took what Torres would consider his shirt and did extremely well Sturridge did he score I haven't seen any evidence that Sturridge did anything other on Saturday than hit the post. Aha, uh-huh. there's a bit of a conundrum there. I mean, it was a lovely goal, but if you're going to be, um, if you're going to win goal of the season for an admittedly artful back here, you're saying the ball that, didn't cross the line. I, I, I don't see, and I, I, I can't understand. I could not understand why I was. Watch, I've watched it many times on TV, and I can't understand why nobody's taken the trouble to work out if that was a goal or an own goal. Tucker, should Wes Brown have noticed whether the ball crossed the line or not? Um, I don't know. I, I just, I was kind of. Uh, I'm not. I'm not paying enough attention to that. Actually, Paddy, you, you completely um, <laughs> throw me that. <laughs> well, I, just, I, looked, I watched the back hill. Thought it was kind of great. It was brilliant. Uh, I didn't really pay much attention after. She had how good a reporter I am. But it it, it does. It's it's almost as if sometimes we we say, "Come on, that's worth a goal," and the defender gets away. I mean, again, totally blameless own goal. Wes Brown did exactly the right thing. Um, but uh, anyway, it's just a it's just a little aside that I would chuck in. But he did play well, Sturridge, and and you couldn't uh, possibly say from what we saw on Saturday that that Torres could be preferred to him. Ducker, uh, where does Sturridge fit into Chelsea if it all went with with their seven? Eight, 28 million strikers um, well I mean it's quite simple isn't it if he given a go in, and um, and uh, plays well and scores goals and he doesn't the, the kind of the fee the fee the fees for the other strikers start to become um, 
you know, ever less important. Um, you know, Villa, Villas Boas is just going to what you know. He's he's a he's a new manager starting at a club where the pressure is extreme, and he's going to want his strikers to score goals. And and if that means you know dropping a fifty million pound player because one who they signed for what ten million pounds compensation. You know he'll he'll happily kind of do that. Um, you know, I suppose there's the English factor and things as well. I mean, he won't obviously be too concerned about that at the moment, but um, but it, it certainly adds to that to that um, to that kind of English backbone that they've, that they've, that they've long had. Um, you know, I, I just think you know he's gonna uh, gonna look at it and think if he's um, if he's scoring goals, you know, I'll pick him on form just as you know. Say Fergie's Fergie's been doing it United with his kids. Yeah, Fergie doesn't have a at all on the um, you know couple of this buy of all time. I mean, you know, he's as Ollie as Oliver K writes this morning. You know, the signs haven't been good for quite a while now. But you know, it's he, he is twenty seven. It's not like he's thirty. You know, I mean, he, he, if at the end of the season, you know, he's only scored a handful of goals and. Chelsea will be very, very concerned, but we are only at the start of September. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I hope I'm wrong. I'm saying that as unless there is a radical improvement in his general play, never mind goals. I mean, I, I don't think goals are, even for, even for strikers, I don't think you can just, uh, you can judge players, statistic, football, a football player statistically. But uh, I think that his general play is so abysmal, so selfish, um, that, you know, I understand why successive managers... Uh, I've, I've not played him because it's like playing with 10 men well, I, I, I think that the main concern this season is if, uh, if Village Boas keeps winning and doesn't that's the only way he can get away with not playing towards if he keeps winning otherwise I think this problem's going to come to a head mm-hmm. uh, but Tom I want to finish up with you um, uh, Raul May relation Juan Mata made the first starts um, for Chelsea uh, they, they they add a slightly different dimension both of them each in his own way uh, that maybe wasn't there Um do you think they're going to have more of an impact domestically or in the Champions League? Difficult to say. I can't see Chelsea beating Real Madrid, Barcelona, Manchester United, maybe not Manchester City. Eventually in the Champions League, they would have to come up against one of those clubs. Uh, I think it could be realistic. They could finish second or third in the, in the, in the Premier League, but I think first be beyond them. At least now they're adding a bit of a bit of freshness with Morelos and, and Mata a bit more pace storage in the team adds adds a bit of pace and energy and, and youthfulness so I think we are witnessing a, tr- a slow transformation of Chelsea the trouble is that it's uh, kind of starting to happen from August onwards when it didn't not enough of it happened in in the summer when things seemed to go on pretty much as before so the uh, the Villa Spurs project is is going to be underway in during the season rather than having a proper clear out in the in the pre-season and really having a transformation uh, we've still got uh, uh, Josh McEachern to come in as well who could could make an impact perhaps in the second half of the season yeah, the squad certainly look, looking deeper David Luiz uh, back from injury now was on the bench uh, on Saturday so I think positive signs that Chelsea are going in the right direction but uh, I'm not sure it's extensive enough or fast enough uh, in terms of the progress to really make them uh, a force either in the Champions League or in the Premier League uh, in terms of winning the competitions uh, this season I'm not sure anybody's sure on that point mm. 
Right, this week in our debate, we're going to look at the uh, uh, the so-called Rooney Rule. Now, um, this is a rule that, that comes from the National Football League uh, in, in 2003. It was uh, voluntarily uh, uh, accepted by the uh, by the 32 teams. And basically what it states is that um, if you have a head coaching position um, or senior coaching position open, um, you have to interview uh, a minority candidate. Uh, you don't have to hire him. It's not a quota system but you have to at least grant uh, a minority candidate um, uh, an interview. And there's something called a ready list, which is something that the the, uh, uh, the the players association you know submits to saying we feel that these people are interview worthy now the reason it's relevant is, is because the uh, lawyer who negotiated this rule with the NFL back in 2003 he's over here he's been hanging uh, with the guys from the um, from the PFA and you know there are steps underway uh, to, to at least make this part of the conversation here to see if it if it gets introduced here uh, in, uh, in in England as well um certainly in the NFL where about 70% of the players come from uh, uh, ethnic minorities um, they went from 6% minority coaches up to 22% um, in England we have a situation where um, ethnic minorities make up uh, anywhere between 25 and 30% of professionals but only 2% of coaches so I want to start with you Ducker um, is this an obvious no-brainer that would benefit football um, I think I think the, the beauty of the rule um, is that obviously you know a, a chairman, a chief exec, a chief exec or a club, you know, has to interview you know a minor you know minority kind of coach, but doesn't necessarily have to appoint them. So it's not like they are being forced into having to appoint someone who might be kind of inferior to say you know a white coach or whatever. I think you know I think that is what's great about the rule and in that sense I just don't I just think it would be a bit of a no-brainer to introduce I mean my kind of point would always kind of go back to um, you know it should be the best man for the job and if you actually look at some of the white coaches in, in operation in this country you know there's quite a few out there who a lot of people would say aren't up to the job so um but equally you know just giving kind of jobs for job's sake to someone because of their you know, ethnic background, I think, would be kind of wrong. Um, but you know, it, it's clear there are but, barriers. But that's not what I, 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 kind of, I remember seeing Tandy Cole at length about this, and um, he just said, "I just, I, I would just love an opportunity to actually get into the door to actually." you know, speak face-to-face with some of these chairs some of these kind well, of people. Well, it's all right if I jump in there on Andy Cole because he's the guy who's most often mentioned and, I mean, you spent time with him, you know him. I, I'm curious, has he applied for any jobs? I, well, last time I spoke to him about it was after a debate he'd done about 18 months ago and he was in the process, I, I'm not spoken to him for a long time about it, but he was in the process of, um, of going through his kind of badges and the last time I kind of spoke to him about it, I, I, he was wavering, I think, about whether to actually kind of go ahead with it um, because he just felt there were so many barriers um, to doing his badges that he wasn't sure. So, so, so this is just typical Andy Cole. I mean, to me, people like Andy Cole. Maybe he's made the decision now because he, he's obviously he's quite prominent in the media, so no, maybe he's maybe he's gone I, down that route. I mean, but, if I was a chairman... I mean, the thing I'd be swayed by with Andy Cole is he's got a reputation as a prat. Not nothing to do with his colour. 
It's absolutely nothing to do with that. If if you know if black people can't get jobs, what, how do you explain uh, Paul? Lynch? Fact, I was just. I mean, you're, well, you're, you're honing in on one individual. I was just kind of using him as an example to kind of just to illustrate a point that you know, you know, if say say what Cole is saying is true, that you know, there are barriers just to actually getting in front of a, a chairman actually. You know, speaking to him and telling him you know, what he's proposed. I just think that, that, that if the rules introduced which allows that, great. And the choice is obviously still with the kind of chairman or chief executive. You know, brilliant. Yeah. I mean, if if clubs James, this is sorry. I'm sorry, James. Team. James, sorry. This is the key, though, isn't it? Right. I mean, the, 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 you, you, I think we take a step back here. First of all, I think. I don't know how many clubs actually have formal interview processes where, you know, you go and you bring in 10 candidates and you pick the one you like best. Um, certainly Aston Villa seemed to do that last year. But secondly, you talk about Andy Cole getting in front of a chairman or, or an Andy Cole type. And I think this is a key point. I mean, yeah, I'm assuming if Andy Cole wants to go and, 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 and talk to, you know, the, the, the chairman of, of, of Arsenal or, um, or, or Tottenham Hotspur, it might be a little bit tricky. Um, but... I'm assuming if he wanted to go and start at a League Two club or at a conference club, which is the way, which is what Paul Ince did, by the way, yeah. and he got to the Premier League, and which is the way that you know coaches should develop their skills. Yeah. Surely he wouldn't have a problem. I mean, if he, if he rocked up that Grimsby, do you think Grimsby wouldn't talk to him? I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, maybe he was, maybe he was. Talking about the top fight when he was talking about kind of obstacles, right? And that's know. what bothers me because the thing about Andy Cole, and this applies to everybody, this applies to Roy Keane, this applies to Gareth Southgate, all these people. You know, just because you were a great footballer and you have your coaching badges, you know, this idea that you can just rock up to a uh, to a top flight club and be entitled to get a job mm. is is incorrect. And yeah. and I think this is where this rule fails. And, and Tom, I want to get your view on this as well. Is the the situation in the NFL was was quite different in this, and, and of course nobody's really mentioned this, in the sense that there were a lot of assistant coaches um, in the NFL um, who, who were from minorities, and the problem there was there were a lot of people who were very good, but they never got the head coaching positions, and they were never even interviewed for those jobs, but there was a large pool of viable minority candidates in the NFL. Um, I, I don't know what the number is as far as assistant coaches or coaches in the lower divisions um, who are who, who are from minority backgrounds. Well, in fact, we know it, there's only two who are from minority backgrounds uh, in, in terms of managers. But my fear here, Tom, is that we could create a situation where we implement the Rooney rule. Everybody pays lip service. Says, okay, yeah, here, Andy Cole, you know, come and spend an hour with Ivan Gazidis and then go away. And then we'll go hire whoever we want to hire. Um, while ignoring the real point is that, you know, are minority coaches getting into the jobs? Are they getting assistant jobs? Are they getting jobs in, in, in League Two and in the conference, which is where you should start? Mm. That's, that's precisely the point, Gab. If you're going to ask why aren't there more black managers, you first have to ask why aren't there more black coaches because you can't be a manager unless you are first a coach. And to me... Unless you're Gareth Southgate. Uh, unless, you, unless you guys ask it, unless you get fast tracked. But generally speaking, that's true, and especially now when you really need a, a pro license. Uh, I'm not sure of the exact figures of how many black coaches there are, but I don't think there are very many. Uh, I'm not sure how many uh, black former players are taking the badges. You need to have that, uh, that layer of talented coaches who can then uh, hopefully uh, get interviews and get to. Uh, 
attention for jobs before anything can happen. And the other big change between the NFL and, the, and English football is you have relegation in English football, which makes it far more volatile, which means uh, I think a chairman will be much uh, more wary of taking a risk on, on a relative unknown and promoting someone who's done well in an interview who they didn't previously know they'd be more careful about that if he was inexperienced because of the the greater risks whereas in the NFL you can make money even if you're a bad team or a good team you've probably got more time to impress and the consequences of failure uh, are a lot less serious yeah. uh, this is a problem for society in general by the way the lack of black people in uh, in positions of leadership I, I look and it took until 2009 before a British lead, a leading British company had a black chief executive ridiculous really and apparently there was only in 2009 one black director of a FTSE 100 company mm. it's not just football where this is this is a problem this is a problem for, for British society as a whole just just to wrap this I, I'm just looking through this um, just limiting myself to, to British um, and, and Irish uh, managers in top flight and if you look at this um if you, if you look at where they started their managerial career and what their background was at mm. players now um Sir Alex Ferguson, of course, started at East East Stirlingshire. Exactly. Um, Tony Pulis was a he was basically a second, third division mm-hmm. type player. Um, started started lower down. Okay, Douglas was the king, so we'll move on. Uh, Alan Pardew was another maybe marginal top flight player. Yeah, he played right? he played in the top flight, but, but also uh, started his managerial career yep. lower down the food chain. Yep. Mick McCarthy was a great player and started at the top. For, am I right in thinking, or did he not? Yeah, well, he had jobs at Celtic and and and, and Manchester City. So right. I mean, yeah. Um, um, the, uh, but Mick McCarthy, of course, uh, was a was a was a self-made player. He wasn't a he wasn't a talented player like uh, Andy Cole or, or um, Kevin Keegan. Of course, breaks the mold. Mm. But anyway, go, carry on. No, I was just say David Moyes, right? David uh, Moyes, uh, average Moyes player, could, could worked make his it way at up. Celtic. No. Um, uh, Roy Hodgson, awful player, had Couldn't to go abroad to get all. a job. Yeah. Owen Coyle, basically a lower division uh, player. Yeah, lower division striker. Yeah. yeah, and worked his way up. Mm-hmm. Harry Redknapp, uh, a uh, top re- top flight player, uh, but Bournemouth. worked his Bournemouth. He's, but, he found his level at Bournemouth, but worked his way up the food chain. Absolutely right? did. Um, and and the studied under the greatest, one of the greatest England coaches, of all, English coaches, uh, Ron Greenwood. Neil Warnock. Neil Warnock was a useless winger. Exactly, and worked his way up the bottom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Bruce, great player, gifted as gifted as uh, yeah, changed many different jobs. A bit like Mr. Most, Loyalty, a bit like most uh, uh, players who become good managers lacked pace. Right. I, if you look at a player who becomes a good manager, almost invariably they lack pace. They have to think. Brendan Rodgers, not a footballer, not of a course, footballer, and no. Steve Keane, not really a not footballer of any really kind a of significance. No, not really a manager. Looks no retired. That's not very <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm about to introduce the quick hit segment. Now, we've had some requests um, that uh, um, that the quick hits is not a nice name. Uh, off the fence, of course, uh, producer, Chris, the producer's suggestion is also a horrible name. Um, so if you have better suggestions, please hit us up with them. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, Twitter I'm at Marconti. And, of course, Chris is at Producer Chris. Mm-hmm. And the prize for the best suggestion is... Gets 
Patty Barkley to take you out to lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get rolling. Wayne Rooney gets another hat trick as Manchester United steamroller Bolton. Uh, Patty, apart from Cleverly's injuries, any blemishes in United's uh, glorious facade? No, not at all. I mean, it, it is quite extraordinary the way that they have reacted to the defeat by Barcelona in the Champions League final. It is, it, 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 it verges on miraculous. And thank goodness that Tom Cleverly's injury isn't as bad as was feared and he, he should be back. It's just a sprained ankle ligament and he should be back uh, in the reasonably near future. Kind of a mismatch, isn't it? Arsenal steady the ship a tiny bit in beating Swansea, but uh, the only goal is a dreadful blunder by Michael Vorm. Um, Tom, it's too early to say Arsenal have turned the corner, isn't it? No, it certainly is. Uh, if they get pasted by Borussia Dortmund uh, in the Champions League this week, then they'll uh, be back to square one. Uh, they were pretty unconvincing against Swansea and the uh, the goal was uh, completely embarrassing. And Arsenal uh, really need Vermaal and Wilshire and Diaby back uh, before they can start to play close to their maximum. And even then, I don't think their maximum will be good enough for anything better than fourth place. And the, the squad, uh, despite all of good additions, isn't good enough. Uh, Gary Cook has resigned his post at Manchester City. Uh, Ducker, does this mean he now accepts that his email was not hacked by some mystery? mischief maker uh, the one he disciplined supposedly and given that his inane posturings aside he was actually pretty good at his job how big a blow is this to the club um, on the email yes of, of course it does although you wouldn't have uh, known that from the way my copy was watered down on Saturday um, and uh, yeah he was uh, behind the scenes he was an excellent chief executive uh, even if that's not the um, uh, popular perception um, it would have been a blow if it had come 12 months ago but uh, they're in the Champions League now they've got the big sponsorship deal The a lot of the major infrastructure works are well underway or complete um, so if he was going to go um, it's not that bad a time um, and uh, they will appoint someone who is equally adept I'm sure uh, and probably less gaff prone PR gaff prone and uh, move on Gab one for you now uh, Serie A finally kicked off this weekend I imagine it was the same old dour but defensive Italian organised football almost as boring as Manchester City wasn't it? Yeah exactly um, now I can't promise that this will last all season but there was very little organisation uh, some bad defending and lots and lots and lots of goals uh, um, a Inter Milan blowing a 2-1 lead at Palermo to lose 4-3 uh, AC Milan going two goals down against Lazio battling back to 2-2 draw. Um, Roma, who I'm really excited to watch this season, um, stinging it up, losing at home uh, to Cagliari. Uh, Napoli, of course, winning uh, winning 3-1 on, on Saturday night. And, and Juventus uh, winning 4-1 at Parma in their new stadium. Uh, uh, plenty of entertainment, plenty of excitement. I'm not going to tell you it's going to last all season, but uh, it was really, really good while it lasted. That's all we've got time for this week, but you can go to www.thechimes.co.uk. You'll find your news, your gossip, your analysis, the web chats. Patty's is on Mondays. Mine is on Tuesday. We're also on Twitter, as you know. So basically, you can spend your entire football-loving week with us. Uh, but we're going to have to say goodbye. So till next time, peace out. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 